The singing of the doxology by the PCC student body begins Pensacola Christian College Chapel. At each chapel service, students have an opportunity to receive spiritual exhortation and enrichment during a time of music and meditation on God's Word. This podcast shares selected recent chapel messages from guest speakers, faculty, and staff. Welcome to the PCC Chapel Podcast. It was 1986. I was 12 years old. One of the big shots of my Christian school drove on campus in a black 1996 Ford Mustang GT. And uh, I'll never forget it. The awe that I had as he, one of my heroes, one of the uh, stars on the basketball team, one of the upperclassmen, had acquired such an amazing automobile. From that moment, literally, uh, I became obsessed with Mustang GTs. Matter of fact, if you're a part of Teen Extreme or you've heard me preach before, it is a, uh, it is a frequent um, illustration that comes up in the messages. I, I was so consumed with this automobile. Matter of fact, I turned uh, 16 years old and in 1990, uh, about seven months after I turned 16, I came home from teen camp. And uh, dad owned an automotive business, and I remember showing up to the parking lot and walking out there, and, uh, and dad said, hey, would you go grab this car? Uh, he gave me the key, he said, would you go grab this car? It's parked in the back of the parking lot and, and pull it in and get it ready to be worked on. When I walked out there, I didn't know my parents were behind me. I walked around behind some of the cars, and there sat uh, a navy blue uh, Ford Mustang. 1986 model. It had uh, just some really cool rims on it. It was, I, I could not believe it, a bow on it. And I recognized that this car was mine. From that moment, that automobile became my why. It literally, and when I say this, it's amazing how things influence us and direct our direction and, and guide our steps. And that car literally became my everything. I would walk in late to uh, uh, church on Wednesday nights because I wanted to be sure when everybody came out of church and all the youth group came out and all the teenagers were heading to, to the basketball court uh, there at the church that my car was parked at a certain angle and everything on it sparkled. And so it was car washes and wipe downs all the time. I was obsessed with this automobile. So obsessed that it was, I know this is gonna sound crazy, it was the determining factor of where I'd go to college. I visited another school in Greenville, South Carolina. It was only four hours from my house. My dad asked me to go to a Christian college my first year, and I said yes. The first one I visited uh, in Virginia was extremely um, opposite of everything I knew. The second one uh, was there in Greenville, South Carolina, and I remember visiting the, the campus. I remember thinking not too far from home. I can go home for Thanksgiving. I can spend uh, weekends at home, and then I found out that, that Bob Jones University would not allow freshmen to have cars their freshman year. I said, it's not an option. Is there another college that will allow me, seriously, you think I'm kidding, is there another college that will allow me to have 
uh, a car my freshman year, and uh, I, I was raised in a, Becca, a ca- in a Becca school, and so I was familiar with Pensacola Christian College. We began to research. I don't even think I visited. I don't even remember coming to college days, but I knew they would let me have my car on, on my, my freshman year, and they let, let us go to the beach. And so that was why I came here to Pensacola Christian College. And uh, I was obsessed. It was my life. It was literally my why. I remember driving through campus thinking everybody was staring at it, and nobody was. It's amazing how you think you're a big fish, and all of a sudden you show up and realize that you're not. And I, and I, and I remember thinking how um, uh, it, it would make me popular. It, it would give me some validity in the hearts and minds of people. After my freshman year of college, I didn't do too well. Matter of fact, it, it, this might uh, encourage some of you that there's hope. I failed life of David. I've been in church all my life, y'all, and I failed life of David. How do you do that? I mean, all you need to know is Goliath, sling, Bathsheba, battles. I mean, you got it down, right? How do you fail life of David? After my freshman year of college, I decided not to return. I was done. I was finished. I was going to attend uh, maybe a local school, and I was going to run my dad's business. And here again was the determining factor. I wanted to own a Ford Mustang GT. Up until that moment, they had all been little tiny cars. And I found a black one with a red stripe around it, and I remember I remember beginning to save money, and I was going to buy that. But I, I had a friend. I had a friend that, unbeknownst to me, was not obsessed with material things. I had a friend that, unbeknownst to me, was passionate for people, who went to my father, and he pleaded and begged my father to not allow me to stay home. He pleaded with my father. He, he asked him to please encourage me to go back to college one more year. And upon the, the, the opening semester, the opening convocation of my sophomore year, sitting in the Del Horton Auditorium about middle way in the balcony, somebody preached a message, are you living on a hope? And I realized at that moment that everything that I lived for was just simply that, it was a hope. And I left that balcony, went and accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior and surrendered my life. And on that night, my why changed. I still love Mustangs today. I've got two students here, Reagan and Wren, and, and uh, I think I've just about convinced them that it's the greatest car on the planet. But you know what? It's not my why. It, it, it's not what motivates me. It's not what directs my life. And in this passage of Scripture in the book of Philippians, I think literally that's really at the core of the book of Philippians. It's the Apostle Paul defining for you and for me what the why is. Why he exists and what is the purpose of his existence. And watch this. If you are a believer here today, if you know Jesus Christ, the cool thing about our why is there's commonality in the fact that you and I know Christ as our Savior and what we're living for uh, can actually be something that is impactful upon those who live around us. 
Now, I want us to look at the background of this passage, and then we're going to jump into the text. Notice here, Paul had several purposes in writing the book of Philippians. First, he wanted to express um, uh, thanks to the Philippians. He did that in this letter for their love to him. Secondly, uh, one of the reasons he wrote this book was that um, he wanted to, to be sure that that uh, they understood how to handle Epaphroditus. Thirdly, he, he wanted to let them know that in difficulty of life, God has purpose and reason for everything that he does. And he wanted them to be careful not to be persuaded by false thinking and false doctrine. But the core of this book is understanding our reason and our purpose for living. Because the, the existence of the people at Philippi had become a little miserable. They were so confused. They had been taught one thing, and now they're seeing another. They'd been taught that the gospel of Jesus Christ would bring great rewards and um, accomplishment. But now they're seeing their leader, their hero, in bondage. And, and they didn't understand how he could be caught up in all of that. And, and all of a sudden, their joy was being sucked out of them because their why was not Christ. Their why was Paul. Their why was not Christ. Their why was their own uh, self-security. Their why was not Christ. Their why was um, making sure that they had all their ducks in a row and everything was lining up like it was supposed to be. So, so watch what happens in the passage. Look at Philippians chapter number 1, and we're going to begin reading at verse number 12. Now, recognizing that the Apostle Paul has now begun to define for them his current situation in Rome. And he follows this up in verse number 12. Look at this with me. But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things which have happened unto me, everything that is happening right now is for what purpose? Notice what he says next. For the furtherance of the gospel. What I'm facing currently at this moment, where I'm at right now, it's not a Bible college, it's not a place of employment, it's not a theme park. What I'm facing currently right now is prison and imprisonment, and the reason I'm going through this is not because you've done anything wrong, and it's not because I've done anything wrong. Listen to this. Would to God we could say this, I am facing what I'm facing because of the gospel. Notice what the text says, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, meaning clearly seen in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. I want to, I want to share three things quickly this morning that, that was Paul's why, and I'm going to encourage you to let it be your why, and as a believer in Christ, I'm hoping that it's my why. First of all, notice here, the advancement of the gospel. Here in the text, in verse number 12, he says, everything that has happened to me is for the furtherance of the gospel. The word furtherance literally is a military term, and it's the idea of advancement. It would be, I, I know we're watching things happen in the Middle East, and one thing that we have seen lately is armies advancing, moving a little further. We watched that about a year and a two ago uh, concerning the Ukraine. Russia trying to establish a little more space and then get a little more space and advancing a little more space and moving their calls a little bit further. That is the word for advancement. Watch this. 
Paul says, my why, are you ready? Is so the gospel can go a little step further and then a little step further and then a little step further. Now, I would understand that in a context like this one, your mind doesn't necessarily think like that. Your mind, if we're honest with each other, ours is about the advancement of our future. Doesn't that make sense? The advancement of our careers. I, I, I met several students today. I asked them what their major was. Some are sitting here, uh, not currently, I hope, but were prior to the service. A couple of ladies over here uh, studying. I asked them if they're trying to get everything in in the last minute. Uh, they debated with me whether it was last minute or not because it's not five minutes before the class. It's still an hour before class, okay? So it's technically right, ladies, not last minute, okay? But, but what they're doing is advancement. I've got to get this test done. I, I've got to go through this test. I've got to get this project done so I can move forward. Listen, that is, that is literally the same thought. But could it be that you and I have the opportunity that through testing and through classes and through education and through relationships and through trials, every one of those is not for the advancement of becoming an engineer or the advancement of becoming a nurse or the advancement of becoming uh, a coach. It, could it be that every step is the advancement of the gospel? It's the next step so that, so that Christ can be magnified. This is literally Paul's answer to their mental struggle. Why is this happening? And young person, it, it ought to be, whether you're a pastor or whether you're an engineer, that our life is about the advancement of the gospel. Notice here in the text, no matter the circumstances. Notice what Paul says. So that my bonds in verse 13 in Christ are manifest in all the palace and all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Listen, here's what Paul says. And you need to see this in the gospel. Paul's arrest was God's way of getting the gospel where the gospel could not have gone. You, you need to understand that. This is Rome. This is not an environment that's friendly to you sharing the gospel. This is Rome. There is, there is a man sitting upon the throne who wants to be seen as God. This is Rome. And so Paul is now having the amazing opportunity, he says in the text, not only to share the gospel in the prison, but in the palace. Young person, I don't, again, I just don't know what God is doing in your life. I, I can't walk in your path, but what I do know is this. You and I have commonality that in every circumstance, God can use every opportunity in our lives if we view it the same as advancement for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Really, I, I'm going to be honest, if it's all about being an educator and teaching math, it's a waste. Now, some of you would debate if teaching math's a waste in general, okay? Um, I, I, I don't, I struggled with math, but it did help me to learn to think. So it's not a waste, but listen, you don't go to the classroom to teach two plus two so the student knows that it's four. You go to the classroom for the advancement of the gospel and two plus two just happens to be the tool. No matter the circumstance. I don't understand why this has happened in my life. I don't understand why I'm going through this trial for the advancement of the gospel. 
And guys, to be honest, concerning our world status at the moment, for some of us, it can cause us to feel a little uneasy. But the Bible tells us in 1 Thessalonians that you know what is on the horizon because you have the truth and the promise of the Word of God. And do you recognize, think about this, let's just, let's just assume. Can we do that for a moment just for the fun of it? I am not predicting, do not call your parents and say, hey, the chapel speaker told us that the Lord's coming back in my generation. I'm not a prophet. But let's just assume that he does. Do you think it's amazing, listen to this, that God chose this generation of Christians to be the final front for the cause of the gospel before he takes us out of this place. There's no reason to fear. This is your circumstance. It is your moment. You say you sound like a, a coach trying to give a pep talk. Hey, let's grow up and be honest. Sometimes we need a coach in life to give us a little pep talk and that's okay. You could literally be, everything's in order. Bible prophecy is lining up completely. The fact that we even have the technology for everything that was prophesied to finally happen. I remember as a 12-year-old hearing preaching on Revelation and thinking, that can't happen. God cannot come back right now because technology, I'm still adjusting the rabbit ears on my grandpa's television, wrapping tinfoil around them, trying to get a signal so we can watch the nightly news. But everything is lined up now, guys. And, and God has placed us here right now for the purpose of the gospel. That is your why. That is why you exist. That is why this matters. I've heard so many students say, why chapel every single day? And I get it. I understand that. It's a lot. But the Bible says that we need to assemble ourselves together as the manner of some is not. Why? Because the day of the Lord is rapidly approaching and you need to have all the information and ammo you can have to make a difference. That is why. It's all about the gospel. If there's no other reason to be here every day so that you can learn more about who Christ is. The circumstances that we're in is the advancement of the gospel. It may not be a problem. It may just be that, that God's positioning you. Secondly, no matter what others do, notice in verse 15 through 18, uh, people were using the fact that Paul was in prison for their own selfish gain. They were taking advantage of his bad situation. Notice what the Word of God says. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy. They were jealous of, of Paul. Some, some preach Christ of strife. They, were, they didn't like Paul's method and where he had come from. Notice what the text says. And some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense, that means um, the idea of falsehood or a cover-up or, or not, um, uh, the idea of pretense is the idea of uh, not the clear truth. Whether in pretense or in truth, the Bible says. I love what he says. It doesn't matter. Knowing, the Bible says, that the gospel is being preached is what matters. Notice what he says in verse 18, what then? Notwithstanding every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. It, it doesn't matter as long as Christ is preached. It doesn't matter what they're doing as long as Christ is preached. Young person, listen. 
we're so caught up on what everybody else is doing. And if our focus is the gospel, does it matter? We're so caught up on the hurt that has been displayed by others, and it is wrong. Sinners do what sinners do, but it doesn't matter. It's the gospel. And as long as the gospel is moving forward, you're doing right. I know some of you in this room are viewed as the goody two-shoes. You're the student who has chosen to do right. You're the, you're the student who has chosen to share the gospel. You're the student who has chosen to love your God and make a difference. And yeah, I know with that comes strife. What it is is what Paul calls it, it's envy. People know they're not doing right. Keep doing right for the gospel. Notice the advancement of the gospel, no matter the circumstances, no matter what others do. And thirdly, no matter what the right attitude. Notice what he says in the text in verse number 18. He said, it doesn't matter whether it happens in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice. Yea, notice how he tags that. I will rejoice. Did you get, do you see the attitude of Paul? No matter what, I'm going to rejoice. I'm going to choose to be happy in what God is doing in my life. It's all about attitude. Look, look, again, when when it's about the furtherance of the next step of your personal life, I know that affects our joy. But, but when, it's, when life is about the furtherance of the gospel, our joy can be full. Notice again the advancement of the gospel. Look at the second thing Paul says in the text. Let's keep walking through it. Look at verse number 19. For I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. I, I, he's saying, I know you're going to be praying for me and, and, and God's going to rescue me from this and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be. Notice this word. Would you say it with me? Christ shall be magnified. Say that word with me. Magnified. Uh, of a student body this size, it should be a little louder. Would you say that word with me? Magnified. Thank you. That Christ may be magnified. You know what I just did by asking you to do that? I magnified the word magnified. It went from a mumble to kind of a mumble to a little more uh, participation, a little bit louder. The word itself was elevated. It was magnified. Here's what Christ says, or Paul says concerning Christ. My goal in this life is not to magnify me. My goal is to magnify Christ. Look at what the Bible clearly gives us. He says, I'm going to be unashamed. Unashamed. The text is clear in verse number 20. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing, in nothing, I shall be ashamed. I hope he doesn't mind me using him. I asked him, could I use my kiddo's in, in, in an illustration. And uh, they, they said, well, it really depends on which one. So we'll find out after chapel if it's okay. Several years ago, um, I have always been my, my boy's basketball coach. I love basketball. I took him to the gym and we're trying to, to start working on a jumper. And when we got to the gym, he wanted to take the ball and go straight to the hoop. But my thought was, you don't even need to get to the hoop yet. Your form is not even right. 
If we shoot the ball 100 times, it's going to hit the goal 100 times in 100 different way, ways. We're going to spend most of our time chasing down a basketball, uh, not learning uh, muscle memory and getting your form right. And so we went off to the side. There were a bunch of people in the gym that day practicing, playing, doing pickup ball. We went off to the side of the gym, and we started practicing form. We learned to set feet. We learned to get the alignment theory right. The pointer finger set, middle ball, bringing it up. Everything should be aligned all the way down, pointing toward the location, learning how to flip the wrist over and over again. Pass it to you. Just, just learn muscle memory over and over again. And we continue to do this. But I began to watch him. Because when you're a teenager standing in the middle of a gym where everybody's shooting at a basket and you're shooting the ball in the air, that's a little awkward. And he would look around at everybody and he was feeling kind of awkward as he worked on the form over and over again. And I'm like, I'm like, listen, Reagan, stop worrying about what anybody thinks. If you want to get this down, if you want to do this right, if you want to be a shooter, if you want to have correct form, then you're going to have to do the work no matter what anybody thinks. Now, you can choose right now to get your shot form down, or you can choose to care what they think, but you can't have both. Seemed a little harsh at the time. He started crying in the gym. I'm just kidding, he didn't. <laughs> it's amazing to me in the culture in which we live in how hard it is not necessarily to believe in Christ, but to live unashamed no matter who's watching. And Paul says that'll never happen until the gospel becomes your why, until magnifying Jesus and pleasing the audience of one is the most important thing in your life. Again, it blows my mind how many young people say, I don't care what people think about the way I dress. We're not even talking about modesty. I'm just talking about the stuff people put on. One of my kids asked me recently, hey, Dad, does this look okay to go out in? I said, it doesn't matter today. <laughs> it's, there's such a wide variety of what people think is cool. Yet, yet to ask a believer to stand on the shame for Christ it's a totally different world to live in. Unashamed. College student, unashamed. Paul says, I'm going to secondly live boldly. That means it's going to be outward. Notice what he t says in the text again. That in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness, as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body. That is a step beyond being embarrassed of who you are in Christ, but being bold in who you are in Christ. And sometimes I struggle with that. I love music. I'm a singer. When I'm working, there's music going. When I'm studying, there's music going. When I'm driving, there's music going, and there's music going loud. And I remember I was in Casa Grande not too long ago. I'd pulled up to a stoplight. The windows were down in the car. Had my hand on the steering wheel, and I was singing. My mouth was wide open, and I am singing out the praises of God. The stereo's up loud. I am singing loudly in the car, and I look over to the guy at the stoplight beside me, and he's like. And I remember, like, trying to play it off and be cool, like. Hitting the button, rolling the window up, you know, the tinted window, trying to check him out as he's going up. And I remember when I rolled the window up, and I'm like, why am I ashamed? 
I'm singing the praises of God and the glory of my Savior. I, mean, I remember thinking, what, what do I have to be afraid of? The boldness of Christ to seeing his value and his worth, to magnify him so much so that the world sees it by mimicking Christ. Mimicking Christ. Look at verse 21. Here's that famous passage that we love to use. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And here's what he's saying. You understand it. If I'm going to live, if I can't die and be with my Savior, if, if I've got to be here, my living will be Christ. For me to live is Christ. You know, I find it interesting when you graduate from college, you'll probably do this, and it's not necessarily wrong, but it'll, it'll probably happen. If you don't already have a place of employment lined up, you will probably go to the board and find out where there are jobs, and you'll base where you move upon that job. Have you ever considered, have you ever stopped to think churches like mine all across the country, new church plants that could use great warriors for Christ? You ever considered as an engineer or as a nurse or as a, uh, someone going into um, law enforcement, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to find a church that needs a great servant, and then I'll find somewhere to work where that church is. I, I know that sounds foreign. I get it. But it's just a novel idea when the gospel becomes the center of everything we are. It, it's, it's, just, it's just a fresh thought. Notice what he says next. He says it's about you. Please don't miss this. This is key and we're going to be done. The word of God says in verse number 22, but I live in the flesh. This is the fruit of my labor. And yet what I shall choose I wot not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, ready? Check this out. Would everybody look at this? Verse number 24. Nevertheless, to abide with you is more needful for you. And having this confidence, I know that I shall abide and continue with you for the furtherance and joy of your faith. Don't miss this. Here's what Paul said. I would rather die and be with Christ, but I can't right now because if I die, your need is not fulfilled. My why is you. My why is you, Philippi. That is why I'm here, because it is more needful for you that I stay, that your faith may go further and that your joy may go further. The furtherance of faith. Now, it's one thing for my faith to go further. Can I ask every student a question? If you were to be absent from this college and absent from this life right now, right now, if you were to be absent, whose faith would be affected by your absence? If you can say nobody, then you're living for you. If somebody else's joy would lessen in their walk with God because of your absence, then you're living for you. Who in this college are you impacting so much that their faith is moving forward, their joy in Christ is forward? You are fulfilling spiritual needs in their life. That is your why. That is your why. I'm thankful for Dean Oman when I was a student who took me under his wing and encouraged me and grew me and prayed with me and loved me as a student here. He furthered my faith. And he's a part of what God is doing today. What's your why?
You've been listening to a message from Pensacola Christian College Chapel. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others. Please don't charge for it or alter it without written permission from Pensacola Christian College. For additional information about PCC, visit us online at pcci.edu. Pensacola Christian College, empowering Christian leaders to influence the world for Christ.